You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 426, Ginger Baker, misunderstood or just an awkward git? Eating on public transport, ban it, ban it now. And the Daily Telegraph, is it really as toxic as Graham Norton says it is? That's all coming up after the ruts and Babylon's burning. old but somehow seems appropriate for our current age uh this reached number seven on the uk top 40 in 1979 the ruts and babylon's burning yes it does seem rather um, disappointingly timely doesn't it really Welcome to the podcast from the Parish Council. It's episode 426. I'm Terence Dackham and she'll never leave you with no deal. It's Juliet Harris. Absolutely. Think of me as the Noel Edmonds of of this topical podcasting world. Hello. Um, Now, time for episode six in our spectacularly popular series of Spot the Singer. In this case, same as last week. It's spot the band. Mm, yeah, I, I, like I say every week, I do partially live for this. I must admit, I do enjoy it a great deal. I ask you, the listener, and you, the Juliet Harris, to mm. try and identify this band from a 30-second clip and with no help from Shazam or Soundhound or similar. Um, now, in the golden age of hip-hop, In 1990, Public Enemy released the hugely successful album Fear of a 
Black Planet. Um, but now, who is this? Five years later in 1995, the album from which uh, this is taken was described as the worst album of all time by Q magazine. So, um, oh, I'm, I'm looking forward to this already. <laughs> and you've sold it so well, I feel, as have they. I'll, I'll give you a little clue. It's a British band, very popular one. Who is this? Covering Public Enemies, uh, 911 is a joke. Unfortunately, much like the take that last week, I had I, I know who this is because I have heard of it. I've never had the dis, the misfortune mm. of hearing that terrible, <laughs> terrible version, but I do know of his existence. I believe that the that the people giving that a really undeserved mauling were Duran Duran. From their album Thank You, their eighth studio album consisting of cover versions, it reached number twelve in the UK, number nineteen on the Billboard two hundred album chart, covering nine one one is a joke. Indeed, say good day to Duran Duran. I mean, that should never have happened. It goes without saying. And actually, they're equally. If you'd like, a, I, I've just had a, a quick look as you were saying that. Would you like to know some of the other tracks they cover oh, on that album? Do yes. Tell me, yes. Just, just when you thought 911 was a joke, couldn't yeah. get any more weird. They've also had a go at White Lines by uh, Grandmaster oh. Flash and Melly Mel, which I can't imagine being good. Must listen. I'd quite like to hear it's, that. It's, I want to take you higher by Sly and the Family Stone. Um, Perfect Day by Lou Reed. Watching the Detectors by Elvis Ooh. Costello. Well. Um, Lay Lady Lay by Bob Dylan. The Afro played Nine One One was a joke. Um, Success by uh, by um, uh, Iggy oh, Pop. Here um, comes success. Yes, yep, yep. then doing that. Um, Crystal Ship by The Doors. I mean, it I really is Lord. like someone's just written I down must, a random list. Must song. listen to this album. I must ball, do. Ball of Confusion by the temptations which again i cannot manage that being good thank you by led zeppelin <laughs> um drive by written by themselves which probably is is it might be the, le- the the least intolerable of all of those numbers and uh, 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 uh i want to take you higher again which was previously unreleased uh by sly and the family stone uh the lucky japanese got two bonus tracks which were <laughs> uh diamond dogs by david bowie and uh femme fatale by the velvet underground and nico um and obviously that will never, ever beat Tracy Thorne's wonderful cover of it. But yes, uh, uh, possibly everybody now, if there's a spike on this album being sold on iTunes, <laughs> I'm assuming it's because everyone listening to this podcast has gone out and bought it. I wouldn't advise paying money for it, I don't think. This is what streaming services, which are apparently <laughs> killing the music industry, are very good for. But um, yeah, just wonder, just wonder at the riches on that album, jeez. I promise I'm going to listen to to that uh, tomorrow, tomorrow during the day because it sounds it sounds fabulous. Even if it's awful, it'll be it'll be fabulous in, so, in its own so, way. So bad it's wonderful. Mm. I suspect. Possibly I can't wait to hear the Led Zeppelin cover. I am um, yeah. I, I think Ball of Confusion might be my pick. But anyway, let's see how we get on. 
Now, Ginger Baker, the drummer with Cream in the late 60s, he died this week. Um, it's a tricky call regarding whether obituaries should be positive eulogies to give comfort to the family mm. or be honest reflections, including negative aspects to, well, relate the whole picture, I suppose. Ginger Baker, to be honest, was really only famous for a couple of years when he was the mm. drummer in Queen, late uh, 60s. After that, he really only caught the wider public eye as he fought heroin addiction and seemed to become involved in several skirmishes with other musicians and journalists where his rudeness and rather dreadful behavior earned him uh, notoriety i suppose and uh, jules you've uncovered um a rather grim encounter suffered by one writer when trying to interview Ginger Baker. Yes, indeed. Although, curiously, it's a, it's a writer for whom I've never had that much time, I have to be honest. <laughs> I, find, I find his... You're his on own, Ginger's side. Uh, well, I, I'm on no one's side in this, it has to be said. I, I, I will quote my often quoted uh, favourite quotation from Ian Hislop on Have I Got News For You once when asked to talk about Neil Hamilton versus Mohammed Al-Fayed, the court case, in which he said, this court case is unique for me and that I hope both sides lose. And uh, I don't feel in entirely dissimilar about this i find michael hand's opinions to be occasionally bizarre and rather self-serving in the guardian oh he can write to me and complain if he wishes that's my take i could be completely wrong he could be lovely he does support qpr which is a huge point in his favor so i will i will definitely <laughs> give him that um but he wrote this piece and i have to say i even i am on michael hand's side in this um uh, him attempting to do a q and a with ginger baker um there was a uh, a screening of, a, of the documentary that came out in 2013 called beware of Mr. Baker, and I have to say, if if uh, even if an official, I mean, I, I, even if an official documentary um, has bad things to say about you, <laughs> that doesn't make me worry as to how yeah. how great you are. Although although perhaps fair play to Ginger Baker for for allowing you know allowing a, a, a you know it to happen, but yeah, he he come he didn't come across terribly well in the film. It has to be said, and uh, he comes across really badly in this piece, which has got some fairly sort of. Uh, teeth jangling footage of michael han attempting to do an interview with him on stage and it went he he was just inc he was just incredibly rude and incredibly so unpleasant rude. i mean needlessly so and you feel like saying if you don't want to plug this film just don't go mm -hmm. don't do these events have, you know, have the cake or eat the cake you know don't if you're the kind of person that enjoys humiliating people at these events you're just not very nice really and like you say it's not like it wouldn't be it wouldn't be acceptable even if he was the biggest star in the world but he quite patently isn't is he and it's really interesting yeah, that david bowie always had a reputation for someone who was sort of reticent about being in the public eye everybody that encountered him said that he was incredibly pleasant and incredibly lovely and and everyone just he seemed to be someone who was secure in his place in the world and i'm not entirely convinced that ginger baker was because he um he he's just really nasty in this video um and the, and the piece that that, that michael ham writes um is that pretty much he knew beforehand that his reputation kind of preceded him but he was hoping to try and uh to try and get a get a good interview with him um he uh set, he sits down next to ginger baker at the beginning before the q and before the q and a um and uh ginger baker didn't say anything um michael Hand sat down and said that he'd be doing the q and a with him uh he didn't get a response um so uh so because he's hard of hearing apparently perhaps not hugely surprising having been a drummer in the six so, so as I said it again, and he got the response. No, you're effing not the audiences, and uh, if, if that pretty much sums up the tone of that. Um, the video that the Guardian sort of has posted. Um, 
Um, admits most of the times that, that Baker just ignored, dismissed the questions, raised his eyebrows in disgust, got one word answers. Um, in the end, it just I think they just had to uh, they just had to um, to call an end to it. I think really. Um, apparently, several audience members told Michael Han afterwards he should at least consider it a success, not to have turned into a uh, a, a gibbering wreck. Um, <laughs> it seems very it seems very very strange. It's um it's it's. I'm just not. I'm. I've, I'm not a huge fan of anybody who just who is just nasty. Who's just needlessly nasty for their own reasons. And he's a certain kind. He also reminds me of a certain kind of pub bore as well. Mm. I remember a, a man of a certain age asking me in the in, in my local in a local pub to me once who I prefer the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. And I said I didn't care for his question because I knew that the answer that I was going to give to him would be wrong in his mm. eyes. And in my opinion, <laughs> that made it right in my eyes. And then I turned away and people laughed at him and I was glad. But um, but it's it's I, I just I'm so sick of allowances being afforded to old white men for dreadful behavior that are not afforded to other people if if you know it it, it, i mean i know we've often we should often return to the theme of naomi campbell on this podcast (laughs) with her her enjoyably wacky plane cleaning video and then her enjoyably well perhaps less less enjoyably but still wacky her sort of brief solo career uh, which also featured on guess the song didn't it but um or guess the singer but I, I, you know, we all heard so much about her so-called dreadful behaviour in the 90s, didn't we? Mm. About her th- and I'm sure it was dreadful. Th- you know, I wouldn't like to have a thrown phone at me, a phone thrown at me by anybody, let alone Naomi Campbell. You know, I can't imagine she behaved very well. But I am conscious that we heard an awful lot about her bad behaviour as a, as, as a, as a sort of a, a, a black woman. I, yeah, I, I. I have a real problem with the idea that that somehow white men are allowed to behave worse than other people are because you know particularly white men from the 60s as well this idea that the 60s is you know it's a decade that I wasn't around for but you know retrospectively I've enjoyed the culture produced by it the politics and the music hugely and I'm really interested in it but you know, I, I find that it's veneration, and he's particularly the sixties and people like Ginger Baker in particular, particularly venerated by aging white male rock writers who were there at the time. It's like because it was their youth, it has to be everybody's youth, really. And I have, I have a, I have a problem with it, and I have a problem with with just unpleasant people, really. I, I couldn't see anything in in the film or in that footage or in that interview that suggested to me that Ginger Baker was a particularly nice person. Cream were a great band. He was a good drummer in in Cream, but I, you know, I, it gets to the point where I just, I just feel like saying, would you know what? I just I would rather spend my time remembering people who are excellent people or, you know, even if flawed, at least have some redeeming features. Whereas I just I just don't have any time for people continuing to indulge this from white old men. I don't carry many quotes around with me, mainly because these days I can barely remember my own name, never mind um, quotes. But I, I do sometimes throw into conversations a quote. And I was thinking about this this top when we were thinking about this topic this week I, I again thought of this quote from f scott fitzgerald and it's um it's not a slam at you when people are rude it's a slam at the people they've met before and it does make you wonder what happened mm. to ginger baker to turn him into this somewhat irascible grump yes um, absolutely his bad temper isn't a new thing there was a splendid um Splendid letter in the Telegraph this week from a chap called Colin Patrick in Oxfordshire. And I've got it here. I've just uh, read it out because it's quite short. Um, Sir, 
Dissa. In the late 70s, I was working on a large construction site in Nigeria. Some friends and I decided to buy one of the company Range Rovers and drive it back to England. Mm. We were about halfway across the Sahara Desert when the alternator packed up. Oh, no. At the next town, which I think was Agadez, we were told of a mad Englishman who owned a Range Rover and might help us. We managed to find his house, outside which was parked a shiny black Range Rover. Mm. We, we knocked, and eventually a shambling, hirsute figure opened the door. He listened intently as we described our predicament, his eyes closed and his head sagely nodding. We finished our tale of woe and awaited his response. Ginger Baker's answer consisted of two words, the second of which was off, the door closed. So... That was that was uh, somebody else's experience, uh, which was not 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 unduly positive, was it? Particularly, <laughs> I think Michael Han of the Guardian would recognise uh, that moment that uh, Mr. Uh, Colin Patrick had in the middle of the Nigerian desert. Actually, yeah, can, would, can, we, can we stop venerating these people, please, and describing them as characters when they're really just unpleasant? You're quite right because I I think there would be quite a contest for the grumpiest man in rock between Lou Reed, Van Morrison and Ginger Baker. It'd be hard to pick a winner there, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And and in a way, I, I res- although I resent all of them for behaving badly, yes. I have more resentment for Ginger Baker just simply because he's done less, in my view. <laughs> yes, it's very true. Uh, coming next, eating on public transport. Ban it! Ban it now! <laughs> I knew um, you were going to be calm about this. I could just tell. That's right after this track. It, oh, the lovely voice of Labby Sifre. I got the blues, but I don't mind. All I have to do is get to you, and then I feel just fine. I'm on a down, but not all the way. When I'm feeling low, you do your thing just so, and then I feel okay. the bit. 
does have a beautiful voice. I am. Um, I I heard this on the radio fairly recently, um, and it changes into something halfway through, which we're continuing my theme of sort of samply records, which I've been exploring over the last few weeks on this very program. Um, we we will play the song that that famously samples that towards the end. Um, interestingly, I will tell you another factoid about that at the end of the program. Not sure if you'll know that or not, Terence. You might do actually. I'd, I'd be surprised if you didn't, but we'll we'll see. Um, that is uh, Labby Seafray, as you say, who is a British singer-songwriter, musician and poet. Um, and he managed to release... He's someone who doesn't who has sort of periods of creativity and i really admire this actually he released six albums between 1970 and 1975 and then didn't release any more albums until 1988 and then released four between 1988 and 1998 so i admire those kind of bursts of creativity and uh, that from one of the 70s albums is um i believe it's called i got there isn't it he, yes, indeed. He's yeah. so, he has that such a gorgeous voice, and it, it, his um, "It Must Be Love" is one of my favourite yes, songs of all time. Famously covered by Madness, right. of course. Yeah. But and, and and I think was something inside so strong his as well. Yeah, I used indeed, to love yeah. that when I was yeah. younger. I think that was from his later burst, as you described it in the eighties. Uh, yes, I think it was. It was on. It was on one of the tapes that my mum used to record off the radio when I was uh-huh. a child. And given given I was four in nineteen eighty eight, that sounds about yeah. right, doesn't it? Now I don't do public transport. Um, if I never have, <laughs> if I never have to travel on the London Underground or subway system again, I'll be delighted. Uh, buses, no, thank you. Uh, railway trains, <laughs> a last resort. They're not for me. Now I, I can hear your thoughts at home. I can read your mind. Listeners everywhere, you're thinking, what a pompous snob. <laughs> I can only agree. Um, it, it's just, actually it's a subject that dare not declare itself for fear of upsetting the woke people. But the hey, truth hey, is, hey, get get out of my wider woke <laughs> club, Terence. The truth is that travelling on public transport in the UK is intolerable. People are now empowered to behave appallingly. Music blaring, feet up on seats, taking up three seats with bags and rucksacks, ignoring the quiet coach rules and bellowing into phones, man-spreading later in the day, drunken behaviour. It makes a bad situation an absolute nightmare. This week, here in the UK, there's been a proposal to ban eating and drinking on public transport. The move is suggested as a means to stop childhood obesity, which, although well-meaning, it it won't do, of course. But I support the idea 100% because as well as all the other horrors I outlined, if you get on public transport, you usually have to put a peg on your nose to stifle the heady mixture of body odour, takeaway fried chicken, somebody's appalling aromatic pasta salad, curry and chips, Tex-Mex wraps. Ban them all, Jules. Any offenders, 10 years in jail, second offence, life imprisonment. Well, as always, you've just completely ruined your own point by being entirely stupid at the end, can I just put, <laughs> to point out, you know, much as I love you. But um, I, I, I have some sympathy with your arguments on this. Yes, I do agree that people now behave in a way which is which is not always hugely acceptable, particularly in terms of on a public transport and not respecting other people that are in their space. Um, for example, my particular bugbear is the playing of loud music from mobile phones without headphones in. Um, I can 
understand it a little bit if there are two or three people showing each other something. But when it's just one person sat there watching stuff on their phone, I, I just find that really offensive. So I do agree that people now seem to be empowered to behave in a way which does not involve consideration for others around them so much. I completely agree with that. And I completely agree that having food on transport is symptomatic of that. I actually agree with you that I think that that is a more compelling reason for banning it from public transport than perhaps for public health reasons. Yes, I agree. Um, this, this BBC, I'm looking at a piece from BBC News, which is interesting, because they, they did vox pops on members of the public. And very unusually, <coughs> excuse me, very unusually for a BBC vox pop, they've actually found some people with some interesting and insightful yeah. things to say, which is pretty rare, it has to be said. Yeah. Apart from Brenda from Bristol, who will be <laughs> the hero for us all forevermore, for her not another one, uh, election heroics. But people make good choice. Uh, a, a, a couple of people here are basically saying that this isn't the answer. It's a number of factors that make children obese. This might be one of them. But children need to be more active. Parents seem to be... Parents need to be parenting more and a point that this chap called Tony Morgan who works in security at Wolverhampton Railway Station says I don't think it would help stop kids being obese the main thing is that parents are busy now and so it's easier to pick up a takeaway I think there are a lot of factors in this when people blame parents for not parenting kids properly I think and this is where I'm going to come back to one of the reasons why I might not take the hardline view that you do re-banning re, 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 re of food I do take your points that it is that it is those sort of lack of consideration of others but we seem to live in a, in a world and particularly in a country where and I, I think this is reasonably accepted um that work seems to pay the cost of living and and and, and the and the resultant non-rise in wages seems to seems to have created a world a, a world whereby work does not seem to pay anymore there are record levels of of, uh, of of in work poverty they call it um child poverty has rocketed within the last 10 years and included in that are parents who have kids who have at least one parent that works which it just seems unimaginable. I mean, I know people that volunteer in food banks that have had nurses coming in. You just think, for goodness sake, it's just unbelievable. And to that extent, my only sympathy for eating food on public transport maybe people working long hours shift workers parents those sort of workers who just don't have very much time who don't who don't realistically have time to make everybody a big family dinner at home because they're trying to work two or three through two or three jobs that is the only circumstance in which I, I i can understand why people do eat on public transport i think that is a, a factor to consider i don't think it's going to do a lot to stop obesity i, I do agree with you on that and i do agree that some Sometimes it can be very annoying. Maybe the answer is to have, particularly on trains, it will work better on trains and buses, but you could do it on buses, is to have an area, like the quiet coach on a train, to have an area designated where people can eat. So maybe to have a food carriage, not just a buffet car, but, you know, a sort of an eating mm, carriage or, or the top. Or the top deck, maybe, to be where you could eat. Or you could eat. Maybe that's the way to do it. And then that way, that then makes allowances. Everyone can stink each other out yeah. on that on that bit. And that makes allowances for people who, uh, well, you know, people who may want to eat. Let's. I, I I remain a little bit more liberal than you. Perhaps people that, that <laughs> want to eat, or or more importantly, perhaps working parents or or shift workers for whom. I'm particularly thinking of low level workers who perhaps might live in shared accommodations with shared kitchen facilities. Mm. Sometimes it is just eat. if you're renting a room in a house in London and you're working as a cleaner or something like that. Maybe just eating on public transport is easier. I don't know. Maybe maybe having a section in which people can eat keeps everybody happy.
they get it right in the land of the free. Um, it, it's hats off. At least they're me. getting something right <laughs> over there. Um, hurrah to the Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority, who enforce a strict ban on any food or drink in train stations, railway stations, and on the trains and buses. Uh, and this also includes escalators, elevators. And the only exception they make is that they allow bottled water during heat emergencies which is really going to an extreme i think but i think we're so worried about hurting the sensibilities of moronic selfish people in this country that politicians are terrified of confronting these issues and that's part of the reason why everything everywhere is getting worse and now we're in a situation where it would be it would be quite the everyday thing for someone to get on a train put their feet up on the opposite seat, put their music on at full blast on the speakers, as you say, without headphones, and spread out their bucket of grimness from Kentucky Fried Chicken uh, for all to endure. And you know, I, I, you know, I just give you Great Britain in 2019, and that's why I say ban them all. But I think your uh, special carriage or special upstairs bit on a bus to allow people to have uh, their bucket of grime or whatever, that's, you know, that's, a, that's, a, that's a sensible solution. How However, it's, it's, it's people called policy would policy making. It's called policy. Well, and then of course it's called policy making, Terence. I was going to crow in your ear, but no, <laughs> you are right. That then brings brings a, and this is one of the arguments against this policy anyway, which is you know how easy is it to enforce? So 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 well. Although having said that, guards on trains enforce people who haven't paid tickets. Mm. So, so it, it, you know, it is, it is, that's what the, it, perhaps this is more enforceable on trains than it is on buses, unless you bring bus conductors back. Because, of course, the, we do still have the British Transport Police. I've seen them turn up to, to, to sort out punch ups on train stations before, mostly football related, it has to be said, but still. So, I don't know. I, th- I think there is a possibility. And, and your comments that you say about, you know, about how everybody's ruining it for everybody, a minority ruining it for everybody else, I'm going to push back very slightly on this. And you'll talk about how probably politicians are scared of doing anything mm. we're experiencing quite a swing towards the uh, towards the far right here in britain at the mm. moment i i do think that, that again i think that's universally acknowledged um all i would say is be careful what you wish for in terms of law enforcement Yes, yes, I, I, I agree with that. I may have been slightly exaggerating to make <laughs> my may, case. For the and also ago. for comic effect, being the comic genius that you are, and I would like to take a moment to salute that. Coming next. Is the Daily Telegraph toxic? Graham Norton says it is. That's next um, after, from 1979, Penetration.
track earlier and now this uh also something it's something of a 1979 post-punk celebration uh from me i always think that if that had been blondie it would have been a huge hit but mm. it it didn't trouble the charts at all it was a splendid pauline murray with a band penetration and come into the open i completely agree i do think that pauline murray really is one of the the lost kind of heroes of of, of punk and post-punk really it's interesting that quite a lot of women from that period are now rightly venerated for being brilliant and there's a there's a, a that famous that photo, picture that's yeah. often shared yeah but but pauline murray seems to one of those people her and, and pauline blacks seem to have been kind of sort of left out of that. I do worry that polystyrene was seen as the sort of token black and ethnic minority person, that there wasn't any room for anybody else to be venerated in the same way. I hope that's not true. But um, but yeah, I, I agree that Pauline Murray is excellent and I wish we heard more. I wish we saw more about her and, and Pauline Black and other women from that period on, uh, on, on those sort of endless BBC4 Talking Heads yes. documentaries. Um, now, my habit for reading news and what we used to call newspapers is that most days I'll read the Guardian and the Mail online picking out stories that I think might interest Mm. me and then maybe three or four days of the week I'll buy the paper edition of the Daily Telegraph um its sports coverage is excellent and there's um well there's a separate sort of tabloid sports paper tucked inside it's really good Mm. and I enjoy the Telegraph crosswords um now until a, a few months ago a rather odd column of Agony Aunt style advice in the Telegraph was written by the BBC chat show presenter and disc jockey Graham Norton. Uh, I don't mean to be rude, but it was a page I would skim past. It didn't really have anything for me. Now, this week, Graham Norton said in an interview that writing for the paper, the Telegraph, increasingly made him nauseous. And then the Telegraph's reporting of the Brett Kavanaugh story last uh, year, uh, two years ago, actually, made him think that the newspaper is toxic. Now, Jules, I enjoy the football reports and stretching my brain with the crosswords. But am I supporting a hotbed of toxicity? Well, I am so so like you, I occasionally read bits and bobs in the Telegraph. I do occasionally find the writing or or rather in the past, I found the writing very interesting. And I'm going out with somebody who is a huge fan of their crosswords like you. So Mm. so and and just to pick up the point on the Graham Norton column, I Mm. agree it was a bit strange. But the reason why it was a bit strange was it was an attempt to kind of jump on the bandwagon and capture a similar thing he did that was far more successful and works far better, which is on his Radio 2 programme on Saturday mornings right. him and uh, Maria McCurlin uh, formerly of Euro, formerly the voice of Eurotrash amongst other things and 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 sometime resident of St Leonard's um okay. uh, and generally all all round nice person her her appearance on the fortunately podcast was excellent she and she is his kind of partner in crime agony aunt and for the first oh. section of the show they have a, a a thing called grill graham in which people uh, they take two problems a week and people oh, write in with their this. problems and mm. it is brilliant done they are he's often very insightful for someone that is essentially comedic and they often are funny and wise at the same time and then they get people to write in and they're all some of them are of the you know just dump him love kind of level of criticism but but it is an enormously fun thing so actually to defend him a little bit um it was an attempt to cat on the page to capture what was actually a really successful what is still a really good feature on his radio 2 show and i think it's it's not as good 
as as the thing on on the radio. So that's why they did it, I think, really, because I think they were hoping uh. that it would somehow work in the same way. But he's one of those people that, although I have enjoyed his autobiographies that I've read, um, he's uh, they're excellent books, but he's better at speaking than 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 writing. I think ultimately, I think he's a he's a reasonable writer, but I think his his you know he's an excellent broadcaster, and that's where his skill lies. Um, but you know, uh, horses, of course, and again, I did enjoy his books because he was very honest in them. But um, I share some of his misgivings, actually, in that I do think that the Telegraph has taken a turn. Um, it's embracing of a no deal Brexit, I think, is enormously irresponsible, particularly as it's read. I mean, I, I, it goes to the heart of the Brexit battle for me in that it's it's readership you get the impression that its owners are are wealthy hedge funders and it's it's quite a lot of its readership is perhaps at the wealthier end of the scale and they're enthusiastically endorsing something which their readers won't pay for and people uh, in in far less less easy backgrounds and circumstances who you know the their ilk persuaded to vote for brexit will pay for that so i do have some i do have some fury against telegraph not because it's you know right wing or it's tory or whatever i know lots of people on the right and lots of tories who do not embrace a no deal brexit and think it is irresponsible which all of the evidence that we have from people that actually know what they're talking about seems to suggest that it will do so i found that and it's and it's general kind of swing towards towards illiberal politics and not just illiberal in the sense that you know it it doesn't call for the legalization of drugs but it's starting to stoke forces i feel in some of the opinion that i've read and i could say the same with the spectator actually which again is another publication which i occasionally find things in it that i find interesting they are moving towards i think encouraging or or not not disencouraging some quite irresponsible behavior and i do i do have some issues with that and i am going to moan no we we will almost Mm. certainly disagree about this but i Mm. am going to moan about them giving giving a column to to boris johnson which uh, graham norton has has, has picked that out for criticism and said you know that he that he that boris johnson basically i'll say graham norton doesn't quite say but i say he tells lies he tells Mm. lies we know that he tells lies all the time as a prime minister that started with him telling lies in the telegraph um he was actually sacked by max hastings that was was it the times for telling lies Mm, and then and then and then eventually and the fact that he found a home at the telegraph to tell his lies i'm afraid to say does speak volumes and you know it was him that started all this bendy bananas rubbish from 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 Mm. you know from brussels years ago that kind of started us moving towards this kind of place and i do think it is wrong that someone that was a senior politician that then when he stopped being a senior level politician because he'd dropped off um, over something which he then went on to vote for anyway which was Theresa May's deal um, not that you'd, you'd hear about it now but he did on the on her last on her last hurrah stand um, he went back to the Telegraph. He paid him an eye-watering amount of money. And yes, it's in their gift to pay it to him. And, you know, why shouldn't he take it if they're willing to offer it to him? I do understand that. To write loads of nonsense. I mean, loads of nonsense. And and for it to go unchallenged. And I can understand that columnists have opinions. And I totally get that. And that, you know, col- columnists are one thing. And, 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 and you know, we uh, the views of our columnists are not the views of this paper, etc., etc. But I think it's a slightly different issue. when Presumably he's stopped again now that he's prime minister. But I think it's a big issue when someone who is very obviously a big figure in political life, who even as a backbencher, everybody knew was going to was gonna move back towards, towards being, being the prime minister again at some point 
point or running for it. I, I do have issues with that allowing with them allowing for that to be published when a, when a public figure with responsibility who is an elected member of parliament is allowed to constantly publish lies. I can understand why Graham Norton wants no part of that, and I have to say I wouldn't want any part of it either. On the Brett Kavanaugh thing, which he said was one of the things that tipped him over the edge. Yes. I, I undertook a bit of research this week and I looked through. So, well, sorry, just as I didn't mm. mention that, just, yeah. to, just to, to clarify so our listeners yeah. know, one of one of Graham Norton's complaints was that someone published a defence of Brett Kavanaugh, yeah. who was the, who, who was the, uh, was he former Attorney General in the US? It was the Supreme Court. He, he was yes. being made into a judge for the, at the Supreme Court. D- despite uh, seeming to be entirely unsuitable to do so. But anyway, yes, carry on. Yeah, that's okay. But um, I, I looked through several dozen pieces from the Telegraph from when the Kavanaugh investigation was going on, and the, the period that led to him—it it was the period that, yeah, well, he was being sworn in as a Supreme Court judge. It was two years ago, and just about every piece that I read, every column, it focused on those accusations and that were that were thrown at him at the time. And the columns of think pieces that I researched were all either neutral or sympathetic to his accusers. So I found this very strange. I did read news stories where Donald Trump was reported to support Kavanaugh and rather taunted those accusers and maybe Graham Norton read that and somehow believed that the factual reporting also somehow meant that the Telegraph itself supported Kavanaugh by reporting factual issues but this is the point I really want to make this this is an increasing view and I'm going to differ from you here um and here's an example I, I've got friends in the uh, newsroom at BBC Television Centre who tweet out facsimiles of the next day's front pages of the daily newspapers as they come in. Yeah, yeah. Tomorrow's papers today, they as the um, hashtag. And they then receive a volley of insults from Twitter morons who somehow think <laughs> yeah. that these BBC journalists who are reporting what's on the front pages are somehow responsible for the content on those pages. And that's what leads me to my main point, which is that the Telegraph isn't toxic. Neither is The Guardian or any paper, in my view, including the Daily Mail. They report the news, yes, but they do, yes, they do also give editorial space to a particular viewpoint. But let Graham Norton and everybody else read them and then decide for themselves if they agree. Just because it's published in a newspaper doesn't mean that we have to say, oh, my goodness me, look what the Daily Telegraph's written. I may disagree with it. So I'm interested to read perhaps what Boris Johnson says about Brexit, but I would dismiss it generally in a heartbeat by saying what an utter and complete load of twaddle. Why can't let everybody else do that and Graham Norton? Because it's, that's not toxic. It's freedom of thought. Yes, I do, I do. I do have some sympathy for that, but I will push back a little bit. And what I'm going to say is, I, I do think that the the lying of our prime minister is leading us into a very dangerous place and the, particularly the lying and statements of the prime minister who was a telegraph columnist until fairly recently um is leading us into a place where the views of the far right are now starting to get more credence than they once were and actually i think it was very interesting i was reading something i can't remember if it was in the new steps it was somewhere earlier this week that was talking about um 
Oh, was warm. Oh, that was it. I shared an article, I think, online that was talking about. Um, it was might have been in the Guardian actually. That was talking about the BBC's attitude towards Oswald Mosley mm. in the 30s and the 40s, and its attitude towards, uh, you know, uh, uh, getting towards far right politicians now, mm. um, and contrasting the fact that 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 it looked at one point like that like the black shirts might and the far right might enter the political bloodstream over here, and so the BBC decided that these views, you know. It, correctly at a time of you know at a time of hitler in that context they decided those views were dangerous and didn't give him a platform and guess what the far right got nowhere and unfortunately now we're living in a world in which nigel farage is one of the most ever invited guests onto bbc question time despite not not ever being an mp and being the leader of a political party that had a maximum of two mps for a while and we are now dealing with upsurges in upsurges in in hate crime here in the uk up searches in in abusive graffiti which there is loads of around my town at the moment where there wasn't two or three years ago anti-semitic graffiti in lewis of all places just just really terrible things happening because people have gone oh let's let people decide for themselves a result of which really toxic unpleasant and i am going to use the word toxic mm. you know so you know and uh knickers to you terence i am going to use the word toxic mm-hmm. and say and say and i say that fondly um and in, in when when you know when, when i i do think that some of these far-right views are extremely dangerous and and often Rub- rubbish is so people that just lie and spout rubbish and things that are not true about stuff like immigration it's really hard to and i think i think everyone's struggling with this at the moment particularly with trump in the states it is really hard to counter people when they just lie and lie and say really horrible and dangerous things that are not founded in truth at all but are emotive and can get around the world quickly thanks to social media and i i do think that giving people that lie and lie for their own ends and lie and are happy to be casual about the language they use in encouraging really horrible, uh, abusive tropes that put people in danger, put minorities in danger. I do think that shouldn't be given a platform. I think the Telegraph increasingly gives quite a lot of a platform to that sort of thing when it's meant still seen as a newspaper of the establishment. And I do agree with Graham Norman. I do think that the, te- the, the Telegraph is behaving ir- irresponsibly and I wouldn't have anything to do with it. Well, fair enough. We're running. We're running out of time. Um, <laughs> we're running out of time to, to butt heads. So, uh, mm. so we'll just uh, we'll just move on. <laughs> well, I'd be interested to uh, to know, hear your uh, views. Hear your yeah, views, tweet, you tweet agree us. Yeah, with uh, Juliet that uh, some uh, views should be uh, not be published because they're too toxic, or my view, let people um, read them and decide for themselves. Uh, interested mm. to know what you think. So, yeah, thanks absolutely. very much indeed for listening and as uh, always yes and hmm. thank you thank you for having me terence hey and thanks to uh hilly and rona as well as always yeah now if you're on the school run or the vicar is in the next room <laughs> sipping his tea please don't worry this closing track is the radio edit further edited by me this week so we're safe in your hands here jules Yes, indeed. And I'm not, moreover, we're saving yours for your super crack editing <laughs> skills on this. Set. Thank you. I won't do this. I, I promise I won't send you lots of sweary hip hop, but I couldn't resist this because as people might have recognised from the, uh, the Labby Seafra track earlier on, I didn't realise what, what, how it had been sampled until the riff started halfway through. And this is my favourite answer, one of my favourite pub quiz questions, which if you ever come to a quiz one, you'll probably hear, which is what connects, do you know, Terence? what connects Chaz and Dave and Eminem? 
Oh gosh, no, I really, I really don't know the answer to that. No. Chaz Hodges played the bass part on this part that was sung oh. from Eminem as a as a session player for Labby Seifer because he was a very prolific well, um, never, session, session musician, yeah. and so he played on that. So that who knew Chaz and Dave and Eminem have link, and they do. So this is Eminem's track, which sampled the Labby Seifer, which is is if you'd thought, if it, would you ever believe that Eminem would set would sample Labby Seifer in a million no, years? No, but a... yeah, when but yeah when it broke into that when it broke when the song opens out into that the library c for record you think my goodness i i had never realized what it was and actually for we've talked about him on the podcast previously actually and i saluted his bravery in calling out much of his fan base about trump but um but i i think that there is there was something very playful about eminem at first he did go down a rather aggressive road mm. but i do like some of his kind of daft records like this i think they're good fun and uh, so this is from uh, 1999 um with some assistance from Dr. Dre. Um, this is Eminem and my name is. get my head straight but i can't figure out which spice girl i want to impregnate and dr dre said slim shady you a gift uh-uh watch your face red man you waste well since age 12 i felt like a case delf who stayed to himself in one space chasing his tail got ticked off and ripped pamela lee's lips off kissed him and said i ain't no silicone was supposed to be this soft i'm about to pass out and crash and fall in the grass faster than a fat man who sat down too fast Lady Shady, wait a minute, that's my girl, dawg I don't give a damn, Dre sent me to take the world off Hi, my name is Wanted to flunk me in junior high. Damn. Thanks a lot. Next semester I'll be 35. I smacked him in his face with an eraser. Chased him with a stapler and told him to change the grade on the paper. Now. Walked in a strip club, had my jacket zipped up. Served the bartender and walked out with a tip cup. Extraterrestrial, running over pedestrians in a spaceship while they're screaming at me. Let's be 99% of my life I was lied to. I just found out my mom does more bored than I do. I told her I'd grow up to be a famous rapper. Make a record about doing oh, the name it after. Yeah, you know you blew up when the women rush your stands. Try to touch your hands like some screaming Usher fans. This guy White Castle asked for my Dude, autograph, so I signed it. Dear Dave, thanks for the support. I just drank a fifth of Kool-Aid. Dare me to drive? Go ahead. All my life I was very deprived. 
I ain't had a woman in years, and my palms are too hairy to hide. Whoops. Clothes ripped like the Incredible Hulk. I spit when I talk. I feel anything that walks. When I was little, I used to get so hungry, I would throw fits. How you gonna breastfeed me, mom? You ain't got no I lay awake and strap myself in the bed with a bulletproof vest on and tap myself in the head. So I'm steaming mad. My name is... You've been listening to a Parish Council production.